This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Some of us here have been sitting here for a few days. Sitting in ungraspable mind, studying ungraspable mind within ungraspable mind. Through the teachings of Dogen Zenji, who wrote a treatise called Ungraspable Mind based on Buddha's teaching in the Diamond Sutra that past mind is ungraspable, present mind is ungraspable, and future mind is ungraspable. One nice thing about Buddha Dharma, I think, is that uh, it's a lot like science, in that good Dharma and good science um, don't make any uh, assumptions. They, they, uh, they confirm what can be directly experienced. It's true of science, yeah? We, it's based on observation, and, and uh, we could call that direct experience. So in meditation, we can examine various theories and check them out in our own experience. Like one of them would be, uh, if we're staying with our own, our own experience, is it possible to experience the past, past mind? Can anybody um, experience, anybody here anyway? Can, can you experience the past? Would anybody like to claim that it's possible? You, you can experience a memory of the past, right? But that's not the past. That's a present memory. Can you actually experience the past? Or the future? Doesn't it seem impossible for anybody to ever be able to experience a past or a future? So if we stay with observation, like like uh, not making any, any uh, leaps or assumptions, we might say there's no way to prove that there, that there is a past because no one is experiencing it now and no one could ever experience the past and no one has ever experienced the past. No one ever has ever experienced the past. Can you follow that? Like we might say, what about myself yesterday? Didn't I experience the past then? No, that wasn't the past. That was now. Yes? Yeah, so that's where we're starting to get into assumption, and there's a lot. It does look like seems like a lot of evidence to support that um, things happened in the past. But if we really stay with our direct experience, we can see that's kind of assumption. It may, and we almost all believe that that is the way it is. But uh, 
it's interesting to, to try out just staying with our direct experience that what about all that um, that archaeology and history and carbon dating that all that is happening in the present even photographs <laughs> photographs yeah a photograph of of this person as a baby right right but that but we never have an experience of the past, we're experiencing the photograph now, and the photograph was taken now, right? When the person sna- took that photo, they didn't say, this is the past. Well, then if we can't say it exists now, which doesn't make sense, can we say that it did exist? Uh, there doesn't seem, in our direct experience, we can't really prove it, I would say. Like a, like a scientist that might try to say, Say, um, and they maybe do try to prove the, the year of the Big Bang or something through mathematical equations, right? But, uh, but in direct experience, I think that's the best science and the best Buddhism is staying with our direct experience where um, it's just a little different way of looking at things. Like that photograph was taken now, and, um, and we can experience that photograph now. And... Uh, and there's no evidence to say that it was a different now than it is now, right? We think that way. Of course we think this way. We think time flows like this. But um, it seems to me when we get really intimate with our own experience that it's like there's only now and there always ever has been now for, for me and my experience. There's never been anything other than now. And it's like... This now has actually never changed. The experiences are constantly changing. The content of the now is changing, but now never changes. It's a very strange way of of thinking compared to what we're used to, but I would propose that nobody uh, has ever experienced the past or the future. It's ever expanding, and it's never the same. Well, that's again kind of theoretical. We're, whether the universe is expanding, let's stay with our experience. Right? Um, we can't find an edge to the universe. Yeah. Yes. I would um, suggest maybe the experience of grief or trauma or post-traumatic stress. Um, for some people, their experience might be that that trauma is happening in, in the present, even though it might have been like an imprint from the past. Yeah, but the point is that they're experiencing it in the present. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, all kinds of experiences happening in the present. Yeah, that's, that's my main point. It basically, everything is happening in the present. And there's not really evidence for there being a past or a future. It's a way of, of conceptualizing our life, um, which we do and will continue to do, but... I think it's interesting to check out in direct experience that you, it's impossible to have an experience of the past, to just let that sink in. It's impossible to experience the past. And it's impossible to experience the future. And, and even nobody has ever experienced the past. To let that really kind of sink in is a different way of thinking. And it's, it's, I find it refreshing no one has ever experienced the past. We can start to conceptualize about this and deduce various things, but in this way, um, this kind of way of thinking helps us, I think, appreciate the awesomeness of now. <laughs> that it's, this is what we got. This is what we can experience. Has anyone ever experienced the present, like now? Yes. We could even turn it the other way. Has anyone ever not experienced now? <laughs> no, right? How, how strange. Nobody's ever experienced the past or the future, and nobody's ever not experienced the present now. It's not that complex to um, agree to that, even though our mind maybe just changed from a lot of assumptions that we that we might have held. 
And then, so we, so if there is no, if no one's experienced the past and future, we know that we can't grasp that, right? So we get those past and future out of the way. Now the present, um, we might think that we can grasp it. So that's mainly what we're exploring here now. Can we grasp the present itself or even anything that's happening in the present? So that's where, um, now we've got the past and the future out of the way. Are there causes and conditions in this eternal now? There appear to be causes and conditions, definitely. But um, but are there really causes and conditions? Other than just now. Because causes and can cause and effect, for example, looks like something, a description of time, right? There's this cause that leads to this effect that looks like a sequence of time. Causality is, I think, built around the idea of time. So, of course, it appears that way. But from the point of view of now, strictly speaking, we, I would say we can't find this causality. We can't find cause and effect. Yes? Like when you're deeply asleep, and with no dreams. Or, uh, oh, she asked, um, what happens to, to uh, time? With two different things. What happens to time and what happens to now when we're not conscious of it? Uh, the, only, the only example I can think of is like deep dreamless sleep or like a coma or something like that. Um, and uh, you can say time doesn't function then there's no, there's no time for us right but you could say uh, maybe it is this, it's the same now that's um, because this now we might come to see it is ungraspable so it may be the same now even when we're uh, yeah because we're never grasping it but I would say that those are two different things now and time like there wouldn't be any time when we're deeply asleep uh, the, um, I get these weekly emails from um, a, a Tibetan teacher. They translate his little poems, Kempo Sultrum Gyamso. And uh, during the session, this, this, um, this email came in. I thought, it's such great synchronicity. I just have to share this. Synchronicity is kind of like now, too, right? So I don't know why this happened during this session, but here's this kind of poem of the week from Kempo Tsotra Gyamso. Past mind has ceased. Future mind has not arisen. Look nakedly at the present mind. Dissolve all reference points within the realm in which nothing is seen. Sweet that that arrived during the session. <laughs> I'll, I'll repeat the whole thing. Um, past mind has ceased. Future mind has not arisen. Look nakedly, which is a funny term, right? I think nakedly means sometimes we look with lots of layers of clothing on our looking, <laughs> right? Like we look in a kind of um, habitual way with the um, clothing of attributes. So this is like, look nakedly, like look purely, look like, like in this uncontrived, unclothed kind of way. Look nakedly at the present mind. Dissolve all reference points within the realm in which no thing is seen. What we've been talking about this week. I would propose this now that we can't escape, (laughs) that we're never um, not not within 
uh, is another name for experiencing. Sounds, they, sound so, they don't sound like synonyms, experiencing and now, but I would propose there are like two different ways of talking about this. We can call it this, is, we can call it now. We, can't, we don't really know what it is, but we can provisionally call it now, and it doesn't seem to change. It's always now. And, okay, it's now, now, right? And now let's, let's like, wait a moment here. Okay, it's now. <laughs> is that a different now? We're so used to thinking of time that, yeah, it's a different now. But if we look carefully, what's the difference? Well, we find, we, we find some differences between that previous statement and this statement, but the differences are the content of, of particular experiences. There's different slightly different sound happening and there's different, um, there's different feelings and different thoughts, but that in which they're happening, we could call now, seems like the same to me. We could also call it experiencing. Experiencing never changes, but experiences are constantly changing. And there's a distinction between experiencing is like, is like the space in which experiences are arising and ceasing, and cause and effect is taking place in the realm of experiences. So, so if um, if past mind w- existed, that'd be real trouble. Because <laughs> yeah, it, it would be. How do you uh, that matter from the past would end up in the present? That's right, and, and, and yeah, and it, and it wouldn't fit. It would be a big mess. It'd be it, total, mess. total mess, impossible. Thank God. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> great. Great point. Thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> it would all get crammed in, or else it would be like frozen. Like some past would be like it couldn't. It would have to be here in some un. Um, the content of the past would have to be like unchanging. Yeah, it would all like jam up somehow. <laughs> yes. So, You're a curious bunch. Yes. You got a lot to. <laughs> Yeah, that's another name for it. Oh. Yeah, it has many, many, it has infinite names. It's called now, it's called thusness, or suchness. And it's called um, experiencing. I'm proposing these names for it. It's also called it. It's called um, awareness. It's called emptiness. All these terms could take the me out of it. But we could, I would propose, we could even, this might be a little controversial, but I think we could even call it me. But not the me of like an individual body and an individual consciousness. We usually think of me as like this body and this consciousness. But um, if we look really um, intimately into our experiencing, we feel to be most truly our self, I would say is, is the experiencing. We could say, the, you know, the experiencing of this body, for example. There's, there's the body is called an experience. It's like tactile sensation, for example. That's an experience. But which feels more like me? That, the tactile sensation or the experiencing of the tactile sensation? Experiencing of the body. I don't think experiencing can go away. It, experiencing is like um, what's always happening right. now. <laughs> experiencing is um, we can't grasp it. Maybe that's why it seems like it can go away because it's ungraspable. It's not an experience. Experiencing is not one of those myriad things called an experience. Yeah, experiencing is the space in which all experiences are arising and ceasing. We could call it, also call it the jewel mirror samadhi. I love that. We just chanted that. It's talking all about this. Um, yes? So when I have a memory, is it because I'm grasping 
kind of, you could say that, yeah, yeah. Because I would say um, we're defining experience here. Remember, we're making a distinction between experiencing is just the eternal space in which everything's happening. The um, experiences are particular events in time and space, in a particular time, in a particular place. We call that an experience. They're impermanent. And in a way, I would say any experience is grasped. That's what makes it an experience. Every single experience is by its very nature grasped. (laughs) This is like... Does it make sense? So like a memory is an experience. It happens in time and space, and then the memory ceases. So it's subtly grasped. And the pinching is kind of a grasping, too. It's like a literal physical grasping of whatever it is. Yeah. Mind and body are all woven together, so... um, Often, we have, if it's a painful memory, the body is more tight, yeah. and so on. Yeah, so all of those are experiences, pleasant and unpleasant, good and bad. All the ways we define them, impermanent um, events that arise and cease within this big, spa- undefinable space of ex- we call it experiencing. But I think this is an interesting point that you know I'm just discovering, talking about it too. That every experience I would propose right now is um, grasped. And ungrasped. Um, I would propose no. It, if it's actually an experience held to be an actual experience that we feel like is something that's actually happening, that's all. What grasping is, but there is ungra- there is no grasp. There is a realm of non-grasping, but it's a different way of um, looking at experiences, and that's what we've been talking about. So it, it must be in the present. It must be now because everything is now. And uh, yes. What if you have like uh, you caught a loop, and then you notice there's a loop, and then you kind of your attention can the camera lens kind of opens up again. Grasping. Like a thought loop. I'd say when and it opens up, did you say? Yeah, like you're, 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 you know, you're, you're condensed in on something. Yeah, like yeah. Your thought pattern, mm-hmm. memory, mm-hmm. and then, and then there's a shift. Yeah. That's kind of the. We may say, uh, I would maybe say, that when it opens up like that, there's a shift and it opens up that it, um, what happens is the experience of that loop kind of dissolves into the space of experiencing. And experiencing is definitely free of grasping. Okay, so, there, so you could say the experience as a, as a kind of entity, as a, as a thing, as an event, um, um, kind of dissolves temporarily. And there's no, for maybe a moment, there's no new experience. If you say there's a new experience, would you say there's a new one? When that one... No, maybe it's just terminology. I would say when you, you're, you can experience being stuck in a loop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, your, that's your experience. In it. Yeah. And then, and then there can be a shift out of that. There is. Because and what's left? When, when you say when the, when the loop dissolves, what's left? Is there a new experience? Experiencing is there the whole time. Yes. But is there a new experience? Like a new thought or something. It's tricky because it's if you're talking about like the space between two thoughts, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. the realm of ungraspability, mm-hmm. or if it just goes in another That's right. So loop I would agree. The space between two thoughts is is the freedom from grasping. But if a, no, if a new thought arises, like I'm free of that thought loop, now there's just a really nice thought of just like, I'm sitting here in the Jakoji Zendo. Like I'm, I would say that's another grasping. I got it's, another, it's a new experience, a new kind of grasping. It's maybe more pleasant than the other one, but with grasping here we're talking about, quite subtle grasping. It's just the sense of um, some experience happening to me that's 
the experience is something other than myself. That's what gra- that's called duality, and it's called grasping, and it's called suffering to some degree. It's called not complete peace. That's why we're gonna have trouble getting through some of this stuff. <laughs> No, it's okay. One, but say from Kimple Sultram's tradition, it might be said that um, all dharmas are self-liberated. And yeah. Is that related to the ungraspability of the space between two thoughts? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> all dharmas I mean uh, dharmas here is uh, we could call experiences. Are the same. All experiences are self-liberated when we see how their what they really are the experiences what they really are is just the experiencing of them then that's what there's then they're self-liberated into being nothing other than experiencing of them we think that there's experiencing of an experience there's an experience like um the sound of this voice is an experience we think that there's an experiencing of that object called the sound um, and we think they're two different things. We think there's a sound experience that's something other than the knowing of the sound or the experiencing of the sound. But can we find a sound other than just the knowing of the sound? When we look very carefully, again, this is we assume there's an actual sound that's there apart from our knowing of it. But can we find two different things, one called a sound, and one called the hearing or the experiencing of the sound? Hearer. Hearer would be another thing. But sometimes we, we, the conceptual overlay is like, I hear. Yeah, we could put that hearer in, but let's leave out the subject for the time being. Why, why, don't, we, why don't we practice it? <laughs> you take any sound and see if you can find a division. If you take any sound, is there a boundary between the sound and the hearing of the sound? Is that one experience? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We don't even need a hearer. Well, we are, hopefully we are doing it as we're talking here. This is what's the question. Can you find a sound other than the experiencing of the sound right now? We need some sound. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> There's a, there, so we usually think that there's a sound and then there's experiencing of it. Are those two different things? I think that's what you're saying too, right, Ryan? Or is there actually, we might say, no, there's just the exa- sound, there's no experiencing of it. But actually, what we're, uh, most intimately, it's what we really know is our experiencing of the sound. But we, can we assume that there's a so- some second sound other than this experiencing? No, right? Can you follow this? This is an experiential kind of thing. Yes? When we have our thought, we're not conscious of the thought before we think it. So, so I mean, it, it's kind of important in a way that it comes back to the sound. You hear a sound, then your ear transmits that to the brain to the leg. Well, let's not get into science. Let's not get into no, no, conceptual it's, it's ideas. Conceptual. I mean, what I mean is when, you, when we think to say something, we've already thought it before we're conscious of it. So just, would that be a present I mean, I mean, Maybe we think of it, it's pretty quick, right? But, um, but the, you could say, I think the main point here, to, we can investigate thought like this. We, there's an experiencing of a thought. We're thinking about a, um, a green elephant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's, there's an experiencing of that thought. Now you could say, is there a thought of a green elephant other than the experiencing of that thought? Yes, there's a thought of the green elephant prior to you being conscious of thinking of the green elephant. I don't think that there's two different things. That there's a, we're just talking about now. Let's not assume that there's something because we heard somewhere that something happens before. As I say, right now we're thinking about the green elephant. Um, there may or may not be something before, but let's just say our thought of the green elephant right now can everybody think of a green elephant? Anybody not? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't think of a green elephant, right? While at this moment, at this present, thinking of the green elephant, 
there's an experiencing of that thought. We could say the thought is almost like an, it's an object, according to Buddhism. A thought is just like a sound. A sound is an is a auditory object, a color is a visual object, and a thought is a mental object. Okay, so a thought is like a, an event in time and space, like a color is an event in time and space for us, right? So this thought of a green elephant, uh, there's an experiencing of that thought. Can we find the, the object called thought of green elephant, can we find that other than just the knowing of that thought, the experiencing of that thought, the awareness of the thought? Follow this and subtle. Yes. Um, I wanted to compare it to kind of like a, like different frequencies. Like a dog can hear different tones than us. So if you have a dog whistle and you blow the whistle, the dog might start barking before you actually realize that there was a sound that the dog could hear. Yeah. So that's like just how different you know different experiences of sound. Yeah, I think we can say it that way. Yes, I think attention to an object, and um, I've heard that the word attention means is the etymology of attention is means to like stretch, attenu- attenuate maybe like to stretch towards something. So attention is usually to to an object. We attend to a sound, a color, or a thought. Um, or a sensation, or an emotion, or a memory, or whatever. So uh, that attention means the consciousness is stretching towards an experience, is grasping. Yes, I agree. Attention is another name for grasping. And we might say, whoa, I thought that Buddhism is all about paying attention. So that now Buddhism is all about grasping. That's why there's more to Buddhism than just paying attention to objects. Well, this is what we've been talking about this weekend. We we can attend to an object like the breath. It's a slight kind. It's a slight grasping, I would say, and then we can um, we can ask, what is it that's aware of this experience called the breath? It's a kind of stepping back right, into um, into this space, uh, unchanging space of experiencing. And that, and then if we, if we can come to see that all these experiences of sights and sounds and tastes and sensations and so on, are actually nothing other than the experiencing of them. There's nothing in addition to experiencing. In other words, so we first, at first we think that mind um, kind of reaches out and um, touches things or attends to things. Or we could say, we think that things like um, um, see, walls, tiles, and pebbles, they sometimes talk about in Zen. You could say anything, but say walls, tiles, and pebbles. We think that the experience of walls, tiles, and pebbles, either tactilely or visually, let's just maybe take the visually, um, walls, tiles, and pebbles, we see them, we think that those walls, tiles, and pebbles are happening to our mind. They're happening to our mind. They're outside the mind, happening to the mind. But as we start to examine, can we find the experience of the walls, tiles, and pebbles? Is that something other than the experiencing of them? I actually can't find some wall, tile, and pebble other than the experiencing of them. Now, instead of the walls, tiles, and pebbles happening to the mind, the walls, tiles, and pebbles are happening in the mind. Here we're talking about big mind, the ungraspable mind. See the shift from experiences are happening to ungraspable mind versus experiences are happening within ungraspable mind. And then another approach we could take is to start examining this ungraspable mind or ungraspable now and look for some edges or boundaries to it, and not finding any. It's like space. We can't find any edge to space. If there's no edge or boundary, that means, by definition, that there's nothing outside of it. 
which also then means that experiences are not happening to it. They would have to be outside it to be happening to it. But they're more like experiences are happening in it, in the space of experiencing awareness. Can you follow that a little bit? The shift from things happening to experiencing um, opened up into things are happening within the space of awareness. And then we might further examine how um, if these, if these rocks, tiles, and pebbles, walls, tiles, and pebbles that we're um, um, experiencing, if they're nothing other than the experiencing of them, then um, that it's not even so much that they're happening within the experiencing, but they actually are the experiencing. That's even more intimate, is it not? First, our dualistic consciousness, it, the, as it's normally operating, is all these things, experiences, walls, tiles, and pebbles, sounds, sensations, emotions, and memories are happening to um, mind. That's called dualistic consciousness. Something's happening to something else. Then we open, examine, over a long time, intimately, in our own experience, we can thoroughly examine uh, which Dogen promotes, thorough examining. Right? Uh, these experiences now seem to be happening with, if there's nothing outside of this awareness, this experiencing, this now, then they're happening within it. But and something within something else still seems like slightly dualistic. Like we are people in a zendo, right? Is We're not the same as the zendo. We're people in a zendo. That's it's a little bit like two different things still. It's almost total non-duality. But if we take this further step and say these walls, tiles, and pebbles that we're experiencing, these experiences of walls, tiles, and pebbles are nothing other than the experiencing of them. They're not so much happening in experiencing, but they are experiencing. And that's complete non-duality. That's the, the form itself is emptiness. It's not so much that form is happening in emptiness, but form is emptiness. Um, this is quite subtle, right? But, but uh, we, can, we can kind of, by examining this, we can confirm experientially that this is how walls, tiles, and pebbles actually are for us. They are the knowing of them. Uh, there's no walls, tiles, and pebbles other than the knowing of them. And this knowing is ungraspable and boundless. And now, if there's no duality there, we ca- instead of calling it dualistic consciousness, we call it Buddha mind. So, so Dogen has this essay, right, called Ungraspable Mind. And interestingly, it was maybe like the, what we just studied this weekend was like a draft of, um, of an essay that he wrote, and then he wanted to expand it, because as you can see, there's a lot to expand upon here, a lot of discussion. We can make it longer than two pages. So Dogen, this is one case in the Shobogenzo, there's two essays called Ungraspable Mind, Shinfukutoku. The other one's called The Latter, The Later Ungraspable Mind, and they were written at the same time, and it's very similar it, has a, it tells the same story of Dushan and the rice cakes, but it has some other stories. It's longer. And I thought about bringing it this weekend, but I thought it would be too long. And it was true. It would have been too long. <laughs> we barely made it through two pages. But I put on the end of the, of the handout for those who were in Sashin an excerpt from the later Mind Cannot Be Grass. That's my favorite excerpt. And I think it's a juicy one. And it's not in the first one, but it's a sweet one. And it brings out this dimension that we're talking about right now in, um, more fully, I think, than the first one. And here it is, just hopefully this is what we've been talking about. There is Buddha mind that is walls, tiles, and pebbles. 
In other words, walls, tiles, and pebbles are not happening to the Buddha mind. They're not even really happening within the Buddha mind, but walls, tiles, and pebbles actually are the Buddha mind. There's no, um, there's not two different things. Non-duality. So this statement wasn't really made so explicitly in the first essay. There is Buddha mind, and now we're talking about ungraspable mind, but interestingly, he's calling it now Buddha mind. It's not, it's not a dualistic consciousness. There is ungraspable Buddha mind that is walls, tiles, and pebbles. Buddhas in the past, present, and future realize it as ungraspable. This Buddha mind that's walls, tiles, and pebbles, the Buddhas realize that Buddha mind is ungraspable. Next, walls, tiles, and pebbles are just Buddha mind. Buddhas in the past, present, and future realize them, the walls, tiles, and pebbles, as ungraspable. So beautiful, this. And it's very much like the Heart Sutra. He might even be like, um, you know, riffing off the Heart Sutra because Heart Sutra says, form itself is emptiness, emptiness itself is form. It's very nice it has those two sentences, are kind of two different meditations. So here, it's virtually the same. It's, a, it's another Zen version of the Heart Sutra. Buddha mind is like emptiness, and walls, tiles, and pebbles are like form. Buddha mind, there is Buddha mind that is walls, tiles, and pebbles. Buddhas in the past, present, and future realize it, the Buddha mind of emptiness, as ungraspable. Walls, tiles, and pebbles are just Buddha mind. Buddhas in the past, present, and future realize them as ungraspable. So the nice thing here is that um, not only is mind ungraspable, but these ex- what we we're calling experiences of walls, tiles, and pebbles, memories, pleasures, pains, sensations, sounds of birds, thoughts, emotions, all of these experiences, because they are Buddha mind, they are also ungraspable. And this is how we're saying, can we be free from grasping experiences? You could say, in this way, we are, but they're no longer actually experiences, right? They're called Buddha mind now. There's no atten- we can't attend to them by stretching out towards them. They're, um, they are just pure knowing. Taking the form, we could say, of walls, tiles, and pebbles, and emotions, and sensations. They are now manifesting as a memory of the past. They are now amazingly expressing itself as a vision of the future. They are um, unchanging awareness manifesting itself as cause and effect in the, in the cycle of impermanence and change. Yes, we can say it's extra. It means like it's not necessary. Yeah, it's not necessary for Buddhas. Uh, our Buddhas are the ones that are that are um, kind of proving and verifying for us that grasping is extra. They don't need it. <laughs> they don't need it. But but you could say you could say in order to be a sentient being like us that actually, maybe it's not extra. In order to be, if we want to be a sentient being, like a person, if we want to be a person, then I think we maybe need grasping. I, I th- I, earlier this weekend, I think I said, that's, I like uh, this working definition of it. A sentient being is grasping. Or what I, I think the way I put it was, a sentient being is the wish for contentment and peace and happiness. Um, and that's kind of, if we're looking for it in anything, in any experience, then it's kind of grasping, I think, yeah. But, um, if, and as us, we come to Jikoji, right? So we're starting to be interested in looking, we're looking for now experience, 
Uh, we're looking for happiness, maybe not in some particular experience. I think first we come to Jikoji, we do look for it in the experience of the quiet of Jikoji and the peacefulness of Zazen. Those are experiences. But the more we sit, the more we say that even those are like some, not completely content because Sashin ends. It's impermanent, right? So we're really then we start looking for happiness for no reason. We start looking for happiness not in any experience at all, but just the happiness that is experiencing, the happiness of now as it is in its thusness. But not that, not, and then we can still have experiences, and we can have happy ones and unhappy ones. We will probably keep having them. But um, we're not investing our happiness and trust in these experiences. We can enjoy them and let them go, but we can, I'd like to invest my, my trust and now in the experiencing that's always fulfilled because there's nothing outside of it to bring in. It's, there's, it, it can't lack anything because it's all-inclusive. Therefore, it's always fulfilled, which means like it's always content. In order for there to be discontent, there has to be something outside that we don't have and we want. <laughs> yes? So compassion arises as an experience. It feels like a vast field experience, right? It is in the, it's, it's the experiencing. How would you define compassion? Well, certainly it's the heart space. It's the, it's the experience of oneness and mm. connection. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think that, uh, as I recall that the kind of classic Buddhist, like kind of technical definition of compassion, karuna, is um, it's yeah, just like you say, it's this, it's the heart space based on the kind of our unity, and it's it's the interestingly people might not have heard this. It includes this wish. Compassion is also like a, um, it actually wants something. It's a wish that suffering cease. For ourselves or others, if it's a compassion for ourselves, we want to be free from suffering. If we're compassion towards another, is where where there's an empathy, a heart space connection, and there's like, and I really um, would like you to be free from the suffering. I I really wish for your freedom from the suffering and your happiness and contentment, and because we're connected. And what metta is um, loving kindness is similar to compassion. That's the wish for all beings to be happy. So compassion is the wish for beings to be free from suffering. Loving kindness is the wish for beings, including ourselves, to be happy. And um, you could say that there um, depend. It depends. It could be like if we really think that the person is other than us that you could say then that's kind of a little bit of grasping. If we really feel like we are actually just this one now, we share this one now, this one presence of experiencing, and we're manifesting as like seven billion different people, right? And, um, and some of us are, um, are really into grasping illusions of externality, which is the definition of suffering. And um, when we... When we see that happening to part of our self, our big self, that we, were, we want to naturally relieve that. Uh, we, want, we want there to be freedom. Partly the freedom from suffering is also like accord with reality. We want to relieve the suffering because it's a distortion. For according, to, according to Buddhism, yeah, the suffering, this may be hard to hear, but suffering is actually a a distortion. It's an illusion. And it's extra, yeah. So, um, 
That's why the Buddhas are, are free from suffering. They're, they're in, and we might find it hard to believe that they could be completely free from suffering. Now, do they experience, um, like the Buddha in the sutras, right? He had back pain and like dysentery at the end of his life, and the body died. Those are experiences, right? But are they, um, are they dukkha? Are they, um, are they discontent? And um, my understanding is that you, can have, you could have potentially um, an extremely painful experience, but not have this sense of something has to change or there's some discontent. It's like, it's okay. It's, it's, it's in order to manifest as a sentient being, um, there's going to be pain. It's part of the deal. And, um, and it seems like we're, that's what we're, I don't know if we chose it or not, but um, I guess the Buddhist story would, could be either that it's just, it's just karm, karmic um, conditioning that we're here in the human realm. But from the bodhisattva perspective, you could say, if we, we might be bodhisattvas, in which case we made a vow to, um, to be born into this suffering realm in order to um, help free everyone from it. Yes. So if, if I'm born as a sentient being within this um, absolute, um, within this Buddha nature, um, what's the relationship between being born as a, a a sentient being that needs requires grasping in relation to this um, just this awareness. Yeah. Like why would we even have this the suffering? Like, I get caught in the cogs of <laughs> a lot of Why are we sentient beings? Well inside um, Buddha nature which mm. has no mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't require this grasping where there is no separation. Yeah. But we acknowledge that we do have a self. We are a manifestation. Our individual, individual manifestation. manifestation. Mm-hmm. So what's the... Uh, I mean, I hesitate. Language fails me. I hesitate to say, why are there separate? <laughs> then why are we separate? Why, yeah. Because I just don't even... That just feels awkward. Um, yeah, because we don't know. We don't know why, really. No, we but we can know. talk about the relationship. Well, that's what I'm, I'm, my, my point, I guess, is... We know, have been talking about the relationship. We have been, this is... But, but, but where, where, why, like I say, I get, I get caught in that cog. Do you mean, <laughs> or in the realities, too. Like, like, yeah. um, well, the relationship, just to talk about yeah. the relationship between the, the sentient being and the, and the Buddha mind, right, yeah. is what we've been talking about this morning. Yeah. So the, the sentient being is, is a set of experiences, right? Um, in bo- body, five skandhas in Buddhism, we call it five experienced <laughs> aspects of experience. It's, there's sensory data, there's feelings, there's perceptions, there's karmic patternings, of, and there's dualistic consciousness, which feels like an individual consciousness. Those are the five skandhas of, an, of a manifested individual, five experiences. What's the relationship of those to Buddha mind? That's who, those experiences are, seem to be happening to awareness at first, that's still a a sentient being, then uh, as we look deeper, the experience we call being a person, a sentient being, is happening within Buddha mind. That's the relationship between the two, right? right. And then even deeper, the experience of, of being a five skandhas human is actually just the knowing, the experiencing of these five skandhas, right? So you could say, in that case, they're identical the relationship between the suffering sentient being and the free Buddha mind is the relationship between form and emptiness. They're, there's no... They're, they're ultimately identical, strangely. But it helps to approach that by saying, first it's like there's a suffering being happening within Buddha mind. This Buddha mind we share. It's not, Buddha mind is not something external. This Buddha mind. And, and me, Kokyo, and you, Lisa, are appearing in, within this Buddha mind. But then we look and see, is there a Kokyo and a Lisa 
other than the experiencing of Kokyo and Lisa? We say there's not some other Lisa for this my, for this consciousness. There's not some Lisa other than the knowing of you. Therefore, um, you are experiencing for this person and I'm experiencing for that person. And we can't even find any difference between my experiencing and your experiencing. Like my now and your now. It's kind of a shared now. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the relationship. It is hard to talk about it, but the relationship between the suffering sentient being and the, and the big mind. And, and we can't really say why, but we could say um, it's not so much answering why, but it's more like in order to experience a world... Um, we need to um, we need to be a sentient being. So you could say, um, if if Buddha mind wants to experience, Buddha mind can't really experience the world as some kind of separate thing. But if you know, if it wants to, it has to manifest as a sentient being. And we might feel like it's beautiful to experience this world. Um, so because we're a sentient being, and, but it comes along with pain. It's a package deal. Right? In order to experience a world, there's going to also be pain. And, uh, and it seems like we're all, we all signed up for this. <laughs> we signed up for a world, an experience of a world, and, uh, and the pain that it comes with. Even, even Shakyamuni Buddha signed up for a world, which is so nice, because he could talk to people, and we could hear his teachings now. And... It came along with back pain, even for the Buddha, right? So, um, well, I, mean, I, I kind of understand what you're asking. Is it, is it that, like, why is it set up this way? Well, right? Yeah, I mean, if, 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 if everything's, if there's an existence. We can't say why. <laughs> no, no, no I, I don't really. Like, my teacher I really says, I will never answer why <laughs> questions. <laughs> But how and what we can answer lots no, of those. To me, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not getting there. It's, it's, some of it's, it's, it's more. Or what's what, the reason? What, what, what is, what's, what's the richness? What if we're helping each other to appreciate big mind? Yeah. Then we have this relationship yeah. together, and we have this relationship between ourselves. And if you want to talk about a purpose, a purpose of being a sentient being, well, we could say that's it that you just said. The purpose could be to help each other um, awaken to the ever, right, and, and always like, content big mind. Right. In, which can happen in myriad ways. Right. And, and, yeah. Yes, myriad ways. And I lost but that's our, our, pur- that's our <laughs> purpose. That's our purpose. Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm just interested in a relationship. And it also reminds me of something that, that, that Jen said in your Dharma talk the other day, which is about transformation and that... Um, in order to become the emptiness, we we need each other to do that, even if we, you know, mm. in a really blunt, crude way, you know, mm. if we even kill each other or <laughs> to to bring. Um, yeah, it's not so much anyway, that. Anyway, everything's in relationship. Which, like, I don't have. I totally understand. I I I intuit what you're saying entirely. I'm not disagreeing with the argument at all. Of, uh, or not the argument. I'm not disagreeing with what you're presenting. I, I, I don't have. I feel very connected to everything all the time, and it, it causes a lot of upset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it makes absolute sense to me. But then I wonder. You know, I see in this, in this, um, in the reality that we're in, the relative reality. Um, that's where my my cogs. That reality is inside the other reality. I guess. Yeah. But they 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 jam up <laughs> sometimes for me, and that's right. The relational stuff. stuff. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah. I'm thinking, well, this is this is just ridiculous. Like my big mind's like, it's just all absurd. But I have to have a conversation with somebody about their invoice, <laughs> why I can't get paid, and I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. I get right. <laughs> yeah. That's the part we signed up for. In <laughs> order to know a world, okay. we have to deal with invoices. Yeah. 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 I mean, we can do. I just like I just wonder why we even have this. 
Anyway, I believe it's the relationship part, which I, I guess is what I'm getting. It's at. definitely all it's relational. Yeah. We're all, you could say we share, yeah. like I said the other day, it's like we usually feel like we're like 30 different minds in one zendo. Mm. And this, this new kind of model is like, it's more like there are 30 different zendos within one mind. And the one, the one mind that we all share um, is manifesting for some people. Right now, it's a very similar zendo, but it really is 30 different zendos. We each see it from a different angle, right? But, and when we go home, some of us are having to ask about these invoices, and some of us will do other things. And, and there's, some, there's some choice about what we're doing in the relative world. So I think maybe that's a nice closing thought, as if we remember our purpose in this life, I would say, at least it's kind of the bodhisattva vow, I would understand, that our purpose is to um, free ourselves and everybody from um, the grasping uh, that, uh, that all these experiences are something apart from me, this, dual- this illusion of duality, and, um, and appreciate the ungraspable mind that we share. And then, we c- and then if that's our purpose, then, then how we manifest in the conventional world can take infinite forms, but it's nice to try to align what we're doing conventionally with our ultimate purpose. That, I think, is a nice place to leave, right? Because we're going to go back into conventional life. Let's, it's not like there's two different things. Really. Now let's forget about big mind and just... It may even be like, while we're asking the person for the invoice, right? Whatever. Um, we try to remember the purpose of asking them for the invoice is not so much to get paid, actually. The purpose of asking them is to have a conversation where we can really meet them like they are us, right? And we can say, I, I actually need the invoice too. But, um, but like, I'm actually, actually here to meet you as myself and, um, and ask you for an invoice in this, in this spirit. And then I'm like doing some mundane task in, that's in aligned with my ultimate purpose. And since we signed up for the sentient being program, um, we're going to have to keep dealing with yeah, invoices and stuff. So, so, um, but we can, but we can be sentient beings who are like our purpose is to um, is to awaken to this reality. Not so much. Some people might say just because it's it's more real or something. But I, I think the, it's more practical than that. It's because it's free. And content and happy. And that's what we're all really looking for. So you can't, you know, there's no time here, right? But, um, but the umpan keeps ringing because it's like time is passing. Well, so. it's not a conventional lunch. It's an extraordinary lunch. Extraordinary. <laughs> it's ungraspable lunch. So, um, so... Those who make a diligent effort are Buddhas and ancestors. The, the ungraspable mind is to buy a piece of painted lunch and chew it up in a single bite. <laughs> May our intention equally extend to every being and place with the true merit of Buddha's way. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to become it. And I also would just like to say that... um, uh, we talk about dedicating the merit here, right? Merit is, these days I think of merit as just open-heartedness, that part of practice that's not just like wisdom and understanding, but we're just our open-heartedness that goes along with that. It's the result of virtuous practice is merit, 
And the result of virtuous practice is open-heartedness, I say. So um, any open-heartedness we've generated here, um, we, we dedicate, means we, inten- we offer with intention to all beings as we just did. But especially um, at this time, I heard during the Sashin that my mother, who's had Parkinson's disease for decades, is starting to go into the dying process. So that's, that's challenging for her and for my dad. So uh, I especially want to dedicate the open-heartedness that we've gathered here, this positive energy, to my mother and father. Uh, may, they be, uh, may they be free and find ease in the midst of uh, this appearance of birth and death. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.